Meredith Monday. Stay tuned. Meredith Monday, and uh, we got Chris with us this this week. Where did you go last week, Chris? I I don't know. I don't know what happened last week. Sorry about that. <laughs> it was the Twilight Zone. That's cool. <laughs> did you hear my my double series monologue? It was incredible. It was just me, myself, and I talking about Meredith Klein. <laughs> I haven't yet, but but now I've got to go listen to it because <laughs> it sounds to, you good. It. Best ever. Best ever. <laughs> <laughs> when we kicked Chris off, it got a lot better. It was just amazing. I just realized all I need is me and my own thoughts on Meredith Klein. <laughs> no, it was it was good. Um, but hey, we want to uh, talk about biblical and systematic theology. I remember when you were down um, for the conference here. We, I think, one of the questions came around at some point. Just you know. Or I forget, forget why we addressed it directly, but just what is biblical theology? I know the conference was about that, but but um, it's it's often one of those weird sort of labels um, that people put onto, like you know, that you get biblical theology, as in, wow, your theology is so from the Bible and uh, mm-hmm. so rooted to the text, and then you get biblical theology almost in a, a kind of I don't know, a, a, I don't want to say liberal, but yeah, you've got your Pauline, you know theology and your, your um, you know, each author, each book is kind of focused on to the exclusion of, uh, of the whole story, which couldn't be the more, which couldn't be the, uh, you know, more opposite to, to what we're talking about, really. And then, um, and then you have this, this idea that, that we are talking about in biblical theology. Um, you had a really great definition there. Uh, I don't know if you probably won't be able to remember it, but um, unless you use it all the time, but it's something to do with the way you, where eschatology is brought in. Do you remember what I'm talking about there? Or? Yeah. Um, so I, I usually like to emphasize at least two points about, about biblical theology. And one is the line of history. Mm-hmm. And then also the fact that eschatology intersects that line at every point. Right. Yeah. So that's great. So it's a, what, what do we mean line of history? So uh, we mean that there's a reason that the Bible starts with Genesis and ends with Revelation. Yeah. Um, and probably most Reformation Christians wish that uh, the Bible started with the book of Romans or something like that, maybe Galatians <laughs> yeah. or something. Mm. But it starts with Genesis and it, and it ends with Revelation because it's organized according to the principle of history. Mm. So Genesis tells us about the origins and the beginnings and then we have a an historical um, development that takes place all the way to the end of history in the book of revelation right and um so part of what biblical theology is interested in is how god has disclosed himself to us um special i mean we can we can get some of who god is from creation Mm-hmm. but it's extremely limited. And so in the Bible, God is disclosing himself to us in in words, and those words have come as a result of deeds that God has done in history to disclose himself. And, I mean, there are some big ones that we can think of, like the Exodus, um, maybe the crossing of the Red Sea, mm. um, obviously the the death and the resurrection of Christ. Those are some monumental deeds that God did. And then he has given word revelation 
to interpret those deed revelations to us and tell us why they should be important, why they are important to us. Hmm. Um, yeah. But there, I mean, I, I hit some of the highlights there, but there have been lots of other deeds. And so the, the words of the Bible are interpreting those historical deeds as they progress and develop throughout time right. and history. Yeah, so it's not just narrative. It's not that we're just focused on narrative. There's, you know, you still got all the doctrinal stuff all in there where it's mm -hmm. interpreting deeds. It's just that it's coming forward in a timeline, I suppose. Yeah, as you say, just a, a progressive revelation. But what do you think is the, the major benefit of being aware of that? You know, like, I mean, I suppose you get all the info ultimately with systematic theology. Um, well, one of those things is that we can see ourselves connected to brothers and sisters um, who have lived before us, mm. um, who have trusted in Christ, um, most of whom in the Bible did so looking forward in terms of a promise, not actually having the historical event of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, um, you know, in their mm -hmm. experience to know uh, what that was all about. But... Um, um, you, you know, in Genesis 3.15, we get the first message of the gospel that mm -hmm. um, God was going to send a man who would crush the head of the serpent that had deceived Eve and, and mm -hmm. Adam. Yeah. And we get more information about that man as time goes on. Um, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, we we learn more information Um especially about, um, you know, a, a king and a kingdom and a people. Um, and, you know, we get, we get more during the Mosaic era um, and the covenant that God makes with David, that this man is going to sit forever on David's throne, hmm. um, you know, things like that. Hmm. And finally when jesus does appear on the scene of history it's like this tree has been growing from mm. a seed in the ground to a sapling to now we have this full tree that has leaves and flowers and fruit and everything and that's what we have in the new testament yeah. and all of that new testament writing then is able to look back on the old testament writing and interpret it for us it's really fantastic yeah Totally. It, it's almost like the, uh, especially on that last point, I mean, you, if, if you had to just, I don't know, come into contact with that tree, to use the analogy, um, by way of systematic theology, just seeing it just as it is in a sort of fully grown, cataloged format. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's not only that you uh, miss, miss some of the riches getting to that point, but yeah, even just the way that the New Testament explores some subjects, it depends on you understanding a, a certain degree of mystery that was still present at that point where the where the um, the biblical authors are referencing or, or just the symbolism involved and 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 the storyline is everything in terms of unlocking so much of those those uh, elements of meaning. What I was going to say though is just just hearing you talk, I think one of the things for me is just um, much as you would watch a tree, I suppose, grow. You know, you, you, by the mm -hmm. time it is fully grown, you get a sense of amazement at what it is and what it uh, what it's finally uh, looking like. Um, th for me, I think like, you know, just to understand, I, I feel a sense of privilege, I suppose, is a good way to say it. 
um, now looking back on Christ and the, the events in history and uh, the cross, I mean, I suppose there would be a temptation to, to think, oh, well, you know, that, that was just a plan B or, or a, just a, you know, just a something that just got put together on the moment. But I think just, just seeing the way it was forecasted and foreshadowed and uh, just the whole thing sort of slowly developing, it, it, you know, you're, you're really able to connect with that historical anticipation so that, you know, as someone who looks back, you realize the great priv- privilege of your, uh, of your currently being where you are and, and being able to understand it in all its fullness. Um, there's something about that, isn't there? Mm. Uh, so that's one of the, the the benefits I can think um, that that come from it. I mean, obviously, the, the one of the the main things would be just to to grasp the unity of the biblical revelation as a whole, uh, how it is all functioning together for one purpose. Um, I suppose that keeps you doctrinally safe as well, um, lest you move into you know uh, some sort of doctrinal system like dispensationalism that would try and chop it all up and keep things apart. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's really, I find it quite hard to explain though. You know, I love it so much and, you know, I, I, I get, I suppose this is going where I'm, where I'm kind of going with all of this and that you do often see a bit of a war between systematic theology and biblical theology. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, uh, in any of your seminary situations. Sadly, yes. Yeah, um, it, it's it's a bit senseless. I mean, why do you think they shouldn't be at war with one another? Because they're both studying the same God. Um, yeah, they're just looking at the data in different ways. They're asking different questions. That doesn't make one question right and the other question wrong. Right. They're just asking different questions of the Bible. Yeah, and the way I would see it as well is that you you'd have biblical theology being something on the lead up to systematic anyway. It's not mm-hmm. like, it's not like the end, it's not never intended to be the end point if I'm, you know, unless, unless, uh, well, I know a lot of biblical theolo- theologians, for example, would, would want to question that and say, well, actually we don't need a, we don't need a systematic categorization of anything. We can just leave it at, at where biblical theology takes us. And I suppose what they're essentially talking about is start with the text rather than a system um, and work to the the overarching doctrinal point that it's making and leave it at that and then keep starting with the text. Don't worry so much about creating a system. And, um, and the, the, you know, the systematic guy is going, no, you need a system. You need to go to the part. And, you know, at that level, maybe they are in conflict, but I, I think probably most biblical theologians would see themselves as being, you know, in, in the spectrum of, of exegesis, uh, leading to, process and, you know, conclude uh, uh, or process about and conclude about certain things that then can help the systematician put it all together um, in, in a way that doesn't ignore the, you know, the the text itself and its historic unfolding. Um, you know, and, and, and so I don't know if that sits well with you in terms of where you, um, where you saw the two disciplines uh, connecting with one another. Yeah, that, that sits really well with me. I mean, I don't know how great this analogy is, but I think of biblical theology as being sort of like the person who's digging around in the ground and pulling out different kinds of stones and rocks mm-hmm. and just making this big pile of stones and rocks. And it's the 
systematic theologian that's coming along and taking those stones and rocks and classifying them into different categories mm-hmm. and saying, well, th- th- these are rubies here and these are sapphires over here. And, you know, um, yeah, yeah. And they work together that way. They're yeah. not, they're not opposed. The One of the benefits of biblical theology is that it can keep systematic theology from, um, this is the danger that systematic theology runs into with proof texting mm, is mm. you know basically taking a a theological position that it's trying to develop and just <clears throat> reaching around for some text to pin that to yeah yeah and biblical theology says no I, let, let's start with the biblical data mm-hmm. and see if we have justification for you know the this idea that you have or maybe we need to go back to the drawing board and figure out how the system should work better yeah yeah. so it's a it's a a guard against unjustified proof texting i guess totally and let's be honest i mean there was a lot of that (laughs) yeah you know yeah reformed theology it really it was crazy um what do you think a different a different um what's the difference between the exegete you know let's say someone who's um specializing old testament or new testament you know and a biblical theologian uh, well, I mean, a biblical theologian should be an exegete, but I guess yeah. um, an exegete is someone who is working um, with the original language that the scripture was written in mm-hmm. and dealing with uh, canonical studies so that they're, you know, they're thinking about the situation of the the text that they're looking at and then drawing out the meaning that's literally what exegesis means is to yeah. draw the meaning out right um, but i mean an, a systematic theologian can be doing that exegetical work what makes the biblical theologian different is that they're doing that work constantly keeping in mind where on the line of history hmm. uh, from genesis to revelation is this particular biblical data um, situated and what does it have to do with what has come before it in history? And what does it have to do with what has come after it in history? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And and it, it really just, it fleshes out what a systematician might not think to ask at that level or might own uh, an avenue he might not think to explore in terms of their, their interconnectedness from a systematic standpoint uh, as mm-hmm. well, which it, it sort of adds that that layer of information, I suppose, which which is, is helpful for him. Um when um, you mentioned also just before we go on to uh, uh, with that whole uh, biblical and systematic thing, um, the the eschatology thing, uh, you're not only concerned to talk about the uh, when defining biblical theology, you're not only concerned to talk about the timeline, but the interspersing of eschatology. What, what, what do you mean by that? I mean that um, heaven is a a place that God has created. And uh, according to the biblical data, it seems like he created it right away in mm-hmm. Genesis 1-1. And so we can't escape the involvement of that heavenly arena with the um, this worldly arena. I don't, I don't know yeah. what better way to, to describe it right now, but mm-hmm. um, since it's right there in Genesis 1-1, it's, it's always going to be um, related to what you're dealing with in the biblical text. Mm. Um, and I can't think of anyone who would deny 
that it's related, you know, especially when you get to the end in Revelation. Yeah, to, yeah. Um, and so uh, heaven is real and heaven is related to anything that you're reading in the biblical text. And it, it just takes some uh, sensitivity to the situation of that text to understand how that, how that relationship works. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, especially as the kingdom unfolds. And yeah, I mean, you've got, and even a lot of those weird things that God did in the Old Testament, uh, I think they're explained. Um, if, if you, a lot easier <laughs> if you have, if you have eschatology in view, you know, like why would God have yes. done, a, a, you know, some of those crazy things that happen, you know, they're all sort of pointing towards something and experiencing something that is yet to come. Um, and one of the guys that really brought that out for me is, um, uh, Gerhard is fast, firstly, I suppose. Um, I mean, before, before he came along, who was really on the scene doing biblical theology as we now talk about it? It's, it's hard to say. I mean, you, covenant theology is certainly sensitive to historical development. And right. so, um, and, and Voss even picked up on that because um, he has an essay in what we've collected today as redemptive history and biblical interpretation, mm-hmm. the shorter writings of Gerhardus Voss. He has a whole essay on covenant theology um, and, and when you read that, you see that he certainly understands how closely related it is to biblical theology, but um, he was really breaking new ground Mm. and he understood that Mm. when he um, began teaching biblical theology at Princeton seminary Mm. in the, in the late 1800s. And didn't, didn't he uh, pick up on, on quite a liberal sort of lineage in that sense There there were a bunch of liberal guys doing that before that. Uh, Was that right? Sure. I mean, in order for him to know, uh, for, for for him to have studied what he needed to study in order to come and teach that, he had to go to Europe and study under the liberals. Yeah. And um, I mean, maybe the best thing ever written on what biblical theology is, was Voss's inaugural address uh, when he began to teach at Princeton. Hmm. Uh, it's called, uh, it's in... Uh, redemptive history and biblical interpretation. It's called the idea of biblical theology as a science and as a theological discipline. Mm. Um, it's it's quite long, and it takes him a while to unpack everything. But if you can um, persevere, it's <laughs> it, it pays dividends. I promise. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's right at the end of that address that he. Uh, takes up this topic of the relationship between biblical and systematic theology. Um, I don't know if you want me to to read that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, how long is it? It's one paragraph. Oh, let's do it, um, totally. Okay. So he says, Biblical theology is of the greatest importance and value for the study of systematic theology. It were useless to deny that it has been often cultivated in a spirit more or less hostile to the work in which systematic theology is engaged. The very name biblical theology is frequently vaunted so as to imply a protest against the alleged unbiblical character Mm -hmm. of dogmatics or systematic (laughs) theology. I desire to state most emphatically here that there is nothing in the nature and aims of biblical theology to justify such an implication. Mm. 
For anything pretending to supplant dogmatics, there is no place in the circle of Christian theology. Yeah. All attempts to show that the doctrines developed and formulated by the church have no real foundation in the Bible stand themselves without or outside the pale of theology inasmuch as they imply that Christianity as a purely natural phenomenon and that the church has now for 19 centuries been chasing her own shadow. Hmm. Dogmatic theology is, when rightly cultivated, as truly a biblical and as truly an inductive science as its younger sister. Hmm. And the latter needs a constructive principle for arranging her facts as well as the former. Hmm. The only difference is that in the one case, this constructive principle is systematic and logical, whereas in the other case, it is purely historical. In other words, Systematic theology endeavors to construct a circle. Biblical mm. theology seeks to reproduce a line. And I do not mean by the use of this figure that within biblical theology there is no grouping of facts at all. The line of which I speak does not represent a monotonous recital of revelation and does not resemble a string, even though it be uh, conceived of as a string of pearls. The line of revelation is like the stem of those trees that grow in rings, each successive ring has grown out of the preceding one, but out of the sap and vigor that is in this stem, there springs a crown with branches and leaves and flowers and fruit. Such is the true relation between biblical and systematic theology. Dogmatics is the crown which grows out of all the work that biblical theology can accomplish. Um, and yeah. he goes on a little bit more, but I think you get the idea there That's that funny. he sees the difference in principle between them, but that there should be absolutely no conflict between the two of them. Mm. Yeah, wow. That's great. That's very helpful, actually. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So what, was the t what was the essay's name again? Uh, essay's title? The Idea of Biblical Theology as a Science and as a Theological Discipline. Wow. <laughs> that says it all right there. Pretty. <laughs> That's great. Uh, it uh, is available for free on the internet, which ah, is the cool. right price. Yeah, excellent. Cool. Well, there you go. Good tip. And uh, that's very, very helpful. Um, you know, and, and so once he came on the scene, I mean, everyone's thinking, I mean, he really had a big impact. And everyone from that point on, you know, really had to had to think um, had to think about things differently, didn't they? I mean, they had, to, yeah. they had to process at a deeper level. It was a good thing. I mean, you just see how things have been enriched as a result of that. Um, one thing... Um, I think that um, I read it somewhere. I can't remember now. I think it might have been something to do with Murray. But I, I think uh, John Murray uh, wanted to be called a biblico-systematic theologian. Uh, he wanted to <laughs> he I do wanted, recall something about yeah, that. Yeah, do you remember that? So, like, yeah, he just didn't like. He, he thought they, you know, okay, the, the line circle thing. But, you know, they, they got so close at so many levels. And... Actually, a good systematician is going to be doing so much biblical theology, or at least incorporating it. Uh, you know, they, they end up they end up becoming so so close. And really, I suppose it, it became almost a label for him for a certain kind of systematic theologian. Um, you know, and I think today, of like Michael Horton, for example, you you know, you'll get a lot of biblical theology in um, in his systematic. Um, yes, you will. And you know, that's that's kind of the way it should be, really. And you really feel it when that doesn't happen. You feel a disconnection from the text. You feel like the whole thing is is much more abstract, and you know perhaps could work logically, but you're not quite sure that's the way it went down scripturally. And uh, you know even if certain texts have been properly exegeted, you're just not sure of the timeline thing. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's just been a a really helpful 
good thing. So that's what we mean by biblical theology. That's what we mean uh, by systematic. And most people know what systematic theology is, um, but that's how they work together. So hopefully that's that's helpful. Any other thoughts there on, on this uh, subject, Chris? I just I would like to point out um, just a historical fact that um, Jim Dennison pointed out to me when I was at Westminster Seminary, California, hmm. um, and that's the image of Voss himself, the um, first real Orthodox biblical theologian, and B.B. Warfield, who was one of the greatest uh, systematic theologians that we've had in the Reformed tradition, hmm. um, and they would walk arm in arm around... Uh, Princeton Seminary discussing things together. And <laughs> that image right there should be what yeah. we think of when we think of biblical and systematic theology. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so cool. I mean, I'm, huh? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it would take some real men to do that today. But. Yeah, truly. Well, it's kind of weird. When, when I go over to India, everyone's holding hands. All the guys, you know, they walk around. The, the soldiers walk down the street holding hands. Oh wow! It's such a it's like a normal thing. It's <laughs> I remember, and just as you said, I'm and I'm. I'm like I, I can almost imagine the Indian guys saying to me, "See, we told you this is how you should." <laughs> because we we uh, we did our lectures, and you got this beautiful um, palatial sort of like you know those old colonial gardens and and mm -hmm. um, beautiful climate at the top of the mountain, and uh, yeah, everyone's just kind of going for this. We do the theology lecture, and everyone goes for this stroll and you know around the gardens sort of a very similar imagery but yeah um that that's awesome i really appreciate that that's exactly how we ought to think about it and those two guys uh, they, they were they were the kings of their discipline so mm. yeah amen cool that's so good chris thanks a million um that's biblical and systematic theology and i suppose we didn't mention too much of of meredith klein but you know of course uh this is the whole thing that drove klein 100 who would have uh, who would klein have walked arm in arm with as a systematician? Well, that's a great question. Um, Do you think like Van I mean, Til or, I mean, like, I know you really appreciated him. He did. But in they fact, didn't really he, gel so much, did they? It was more just an honor thing. He, he would talk even in class about how he was a garden variety, um, Calvinistic, Vantillian, and there was mm. one other term that he would throw in there. So, I mean, he saw himself as squarely within what Van Til was doing, but I think he saw him more in the domain of apologetics rather than necessarily mm, systematics. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Who's a good uh, corresponding theologian for him? At, at Westminster, California, yeah. I guess it would have been Robert Strimple. All right. And I think for the most part, they would have. Um, Strimple disagreed with him on republication, but uh, I think Klein could have forgiven him for that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, well, man, I mean, uh, just, just uh, going through one of these... Um, well, I actually just been looking a little bit into this. I mean, you see how much um, every... I mean, what would Van Drunen be? He'd be a systematic theologian, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so Van Drunen, you've got uh, Horton, of course... Oh, man. I mean, they're all just very, very, very... They're holding hands with Klein, you know, the whole mm -hmm. way through, not founding their whole systems uh, uh, on his thought. Um, and, uh, you know, as we said previously, probably 
should give him a little bit more um, credit for that. Although, you know, like just seeing Horton's forward to to Klein's uh, commentary, you know, that was just published mm-hmm. at the Genesis. Yeah, that was really good. Just seeing how, you know, he's just coming out and, and just saying, hey, listen, this is this is the guy that gave me the paradigm that I'm working with, essentially. So, um, you know, yeah, mo- most of the two kingdom theologians today, I suppose, are, are all that corresponding systematic um, to Klein's biblical theology. Um, although it came a little bit later. They, were, they would have been his students, right? Yeah, both Horton and Van Drunen were students of of Klein and uh, Strimple, actually. So, oh, is that right? Wow, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, and you mentioned Lane Tipton was a student as well. He was like the he was like the guy that went to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we got the Yoda, yeah. that's the Yoda thing. Yeah, either Anakin or uh, Kylo Ren or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, cool. Well, on that thought, um, thanks, Chris. Appreciate you spending this time with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.